God, the truth is, with people that are here this morning, God, there's all kinds of things going on. Got people that are bringing some stuff in here that's pretty hard to deal with. Some people that probably have some pretty good questions for you as well as why things are happening and not understanding it. And so, God, today I just, I ask you that each of us would have open hearts and minds to, to hear from your word, to hear some encouragement, and then, God, to act on it. We love you, Jesus, and are pleading with you to move in Jesus' name. Amen. February 28th, 2010, a date that will forever be burned into my mind as um, a lot of things were happening. One was we were in the middle of an Olympic Games, and um, this one was a little bit colder, so Michael Phelps wasn't beating his chest and throwing his arms all around and winning 552,000 medals. And, uh, but, um, you know, it was a little bit colder, and we were preparing on that day, not me, but we, you know, you kind of buy into that, right? When it's your team that you root for, you say we, even though you have nothing to do with it. But um, the United States was about to play Canada for the gold medal and, and dreaming of maybe another opportunity for the U.S. to get a, get a medal in hockey. And I remember for me personally, um, it was a Sunday morning and I was a part of a church and pastoring a church and uh, we had just had a great move and we had uh, remodeled a, a warehouse area and had our own place for the first time after being portable church for years and um, had, had an opportunity, and, and God was really doing some stuff, and we were excited about it. I got in there early that Sunday. Our worship leader was on vacation or was out, out of town, and we were running around, making things happen, getting there a couple hours early, all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and running up and down the stairs trying to figure out, make sure everything was in place. And, um, and I, finally, everything was kind of settling down. We were, it was 9.40 in the morning. I remember this as plain as day, 9.40 in the morning. And, and so I went over to our table, to our greeting table, and there were these donut holes. Yeah, I used to love donut holes. And I grabbed one of those donut holes and I took a bite of it. And you know when you eat something and it, and it just, it makes you burn all the way down, you know, not because it's hot, it just doesn't go in quite right, you know. And, and it felt that way to me. I, I took that bite, I thought, man, that's just weird. So I went over and guzzled down some water and it wasn't taking care of it. My wife had come. I said, hey, uh, would you mind? I said, I can't leave. Church is starting now in about 15 minutes. Could you run and grab some Pepto for me at the gas station across the street? And so she ran over and took, I guzzled some of that. You know, not the right way, of course. Children don't ever do this anywhere else, but, you know, just right out of the bottle, you know. And, and so, I, I, and the weirdest thing that happened in that moment was anytime I ever take one of those, you know, like Pepto, Maalox, that kind of stuff, um, is when it goes down, you can kind of feel it like, ah, oh, just like the commercial. That's how I feel when I do that. I take it and say, ah, oh, it feels good. But I noticed, man, this burning that I was having was in a little different place than where I was taking the medicine. And... I went to a buddy of mine and, and went over to him and said, hey, man, when you had open heart surgery, what, what was that like, you know? I mean, what kind of pains did you have before you went into that? And he said, sorry, man, I didn't have a heart attack. I, I just had a valve that had to be replaced. Oh, just a valve. Got it. Um, but so I, and I, I looked at my wife and I said, I said, honey, we got to go. We got to go to the hospital right now. I said, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on, but I can tell you this is something like I've never had before. We got to get out of here. So I met with a couple of our leaders. I said, the service is yours. I've got to go. Good to have good leaders, by the way. And uh, so we jumped in the car and headed off to the, uh, to the hospital where uh, they started to run tests, and they took my heart rate, and they're like, man, you got a good heart rate. You know, it's not real high. Everything's great. You know, it's kind of in the high 60s, low 70s, good heart rate. Took my blood pressure, normal. Went, took an EKG, came back normal. It was like crazy stuff. They took the fir- first blood test. They said, well, we're going to check it out, but we're thinking you probably just have some indigestion. 
like, yeah, this is pretty bad indigestion. And um, so, you know, then the, the Olympics comes on, you know, and you're sitting there. And every time I'd get up to go to the bathroom and come back, too much information, you know, nice robe and all that fun stuff. You know, but every time I do that, man, this pain would just intensify. I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And, um, and so, so I, I came back, and, and they're like, man, your first blood test came back, and it's normal. I mean, everything seems to be coming, but we just want to keep you here um, just for the night to just, you know, look over you and make sure everything's okay. We have a second blood test that goes in, and sometimes if there's something wrong, it might happen later. So, so they wheel me up in the thing. Now, you have to understand, I'm 36 years old at the time, right? 36 years old, two weeks before my 37th birthday, and they're wheeling me up onto the heart floor. And, and there's these two young people, which I don't like to think of myself as older, but, you know, they're a good 15 years younger than me. And there's the nurse and her little PCA assistant, and they look at each other like, that guy? He's like, young, you know, what, what's he doing up on our floor? And, you know, and then they say, well, we think he may have indigestion. That really goes over well, you know, you feel real confident. But we got in there, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the, in, the, in the room, and I almost said hotel room. It's not a hotel room. And I'm, I'm sitting in the room at Memorial Hospital, and I've got one of my best friends sitting next to me. My wife had gone home because we'd been there all day for about, it, by that point, it was nine or ten hours that we had been at the hospital, and she was going to check on our kids and make sure everything was okay with our four kids. And um, and we sat there, and the doctor came in. He had a little different look on his face, and he said, Tim, uh, the second blood test came back, and uh, you did have a heart attack. And um, I was shocked. I mean, I knew that something was wrong, but at the same time, it was like, I, I kind of wanted it to be that it was something else. And, 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 you know, sometimes we get that news, don't we? Out of nowhere. I mean, earlier in the day, 24 hours before that, I was doing fine and preparing for a Sunday morning and getting ready for a service and excited about leadership meetings that were coming up and things we were going to be able to put together and, and what God was doing and, and what he was heading. And here I was, 24 hours later, in the hospital with the news that my life was going to change. I mean, there were some serious things that were going to change. And, and, and I wasn't the guy that you look at and think, man, that's, I, mean, I was about 10 pounds heavier than I am now, but my genetics and my family is awful. I mean, you can see this, this picture right here. I just figured I'd, I'd bring you know, show and tell. And uh, here's, this is my right coronary artery. It only feeds the bottom of your heart and your lungs. And um, only. And that is a, uh, that little hook kind of looks like a backwards J there. Um, that is the artery that was 100% blocked. And you can see it in this next picture. You can see all those vines that come off of it. That was after they had put the stent in and opened it back up. And, and I'll never forget the moment. Dr. Nelson was there, amazing doctor, and, and uh, he's doing this. He, he's performed, I don't know how many, he's trained like 600 people on doing heart casts and all this stuff, and, and he's doing it, and he goes to, and he sees that first picture, and he goes, oh. And I thought, man, you've been doing this a while, man, really? You've got to say, oh, and because uh, he had told me, it's probably just, you know, just a couple arteries, small ones in there, it's all right, but it was the right, you know, one of the main arteries that feeds your heart. And then, then when they opened it up was the good moment. I actually fell asleep like 30 seconds after this happened. They, they did that second one, and they all went, oh. True story. I, I'm not making this up. They did that, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm good. And I fell asleep, and they're trying to wake me up to tell me what was going on. I was done. I was completely calm. But, but the truth of the matter is life smacks us in the face. And whether that's because you've lost a job or it's health stuff like me or there was a tragedy and someone in your family and you get that phone call in the middle of the night, whatever it is, we all sometime encounter something. And often it doesn't just happen with one thing. It kind of stacks on top. And the question comes for us is 
how are we going to choose to handle things when everything comes at us and life just kind of smacks us in the face that way? And we have got to make a choice to say, you know what, I'm going to choose to have the right attitude. I'm going to choose to have the best attitude that I can so that I can live through this situation and to thrive. And, and I share that story at the beginning mostly to let you know that I'm not just talking here. This is what I've lived over the past couple of years. I'm not just trying to give you information because it sounds good. I'm giving you information because this is straight out of what I've had to do to keep my feet on the right track so that I could even stand in front of you and talk about it today. I'm not making this stuff up. This is, this is true stuff. And when I think about the Bible and a story of someone who's had many ups and downs, my mind goes straight to Joseph. And Joseph was a guy in Genesis chapter 37. So if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to head there. I'll just give you a little background on him. But Joseph was an amazing guy with some incredible abilities and and had some skills and must have had some people's skills, even though he didn't always use them in his own family. But, and his dad loved him. I mean, he was one of the younger brothers. He was number 11 in the lineup and, and, and he, his dad bought him a special coat and just kind of raised him up. And those of you who are sitting out there right now who just cringed, it's because you're not that brother or sister right? You know who the favorite is, and, and hopefully your parents didn't do that, but you know that if, especially if they got treated like Joseph. I mean, Joseph got special treatment and special care, and you know what that's like and what that does to you anytime that's ever happened. <coughs> and, um, and, and that was Joseph. I mean, he had life, and, and life was great. Everything was going really, really well for him. And, and then he, God even gave him a couple of dreams, and, and one of his dreams was, and I think it probably got Joseph excited as he was there, is one of the dreams that he had was that all of his brothers were bowing down in front of him. And then he had a second dream. And in the second dream, his, both of his parents and his brothers were all bowing down before him. Now, this is where Joseph, you know, doesn't quite get it. Because he went to his brothers and his family, and he said, guess what? God gave me a dream, and all of you were bowing down in front of me. And then he tells them he had a second dream. And that they did it again. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a big brother. I don't have, you know, ten big brothers, but I have one big brother. All right? And my, my big brother, uh, although eventually I got faster than him, and I hope he hears this message sometime, although I got faster than him, he uh, still, if I would have gone to him and said, big brother, guess what, Paul? I had a dream last night, and you were bowing down in front of me. Can you picture about the next five seconds? What just happened and who was bowing down in front of who? I mean, really, if I would have gone to my brother and said, dude, I know I'm the favorite son, dog, and you're going to bow down in front of me, it would have been it for me. I would have been on the floor and uh, I would have been eating something. And it probably would have had a lot to do with rock and dirt and other such things. But, but man, his brothers hated him, and that's where we pick up the story for Joseph. Joseph, um, in a lot of ways, in his own mind right now, is he is living on top of the world. Now, jump in. At verse 12 of chapter 37. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, Israel is Joseph's dad, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send them to you. Very well, he replied. And he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent them off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say they would be going to Dothan. So Joseph went, to, uh, went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. 
But they saw him in a distance, and before they reached him, they plotted to kill him. Here is that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. And so Joseph's going along and thinking life is great. I mean, he's going, he's going to go check on his brothers, he's going to go see how they're doing, and he's going to just, yeah, just check out and see how work's going, maybe share some stories of what's happening back at home and all those kind of things, and little does he know that when they see him off in the distance, they have a plot to kill him, and, and they're going to take his life away from him. And then in verse 26, it just gets so much better. It says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover him? cover up his blood. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. And so when the Midianites came, they sold him. And, and, and you think, really? So it just got so much better, didn't it? I mean, they didn't take his life. You know, he is our brother. So we probably should just sell him so that he's out of here and sell him off to another country, which is just crazy stuff. So all of a sudden, Joseph is gone from 24 hours ago, hanging out with his dad, or however long it was before when he went on this trip, and his dad, who loves him, and has given him gifts, and all of these things, and and he has everything that probably he could ever dream of, and life seems to be great. He has a dream of what the future is going to be, and then he shows up, and he finds himself in the bottom of a well, getting pulled off and sold, possibly to never see his family again. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. And most of us probably don't have to think very far to think about times where where these things have happened. And the question is, is what happens in you and to you when those kind of things happen? What happens to you when all of a sudden everything seems like it's falling apart and you've lost your job or or something happened in your marriage and and things aren't going well and and maybe your wife has left you, if if something's happened with your children, sickness, whatever it is, what happens in you? Do you choose to find the, the, not the best in it, but to walk through it to get to the other side, or does it make you paralyzed and want to give up? Where does it go? Well, let's check out Joseph and see what happens. Because the bottom line is, is our attitude in these times are critical, and we're going to see what it is that Joseph did. In, in chapter uh, 39, you'll notice that, that Joseph gets sold, and he gets sold to, uh, to Potiphar, and Potiphar, man, he, he loves this guy. Man, here's a guy who's responsible. He's taking care of things. So much so that the Potiphar said, you know what? You're going to take care of my house. Take care of everything. Everything that I have is yours. It's your responsibility. Please take care of it. And so Joseph is risen up, and he, and he becomes a leader in Potiphar's house. Joseph decides, you know what? I've been, I've been dealt an awful, awful hand, but I'm going to make the most of it. And I'm going to rise above my circumstances. And he, and he chooses to do that. And so he rises up. And so look what happens as we wrestle through this. He, he ends up finding out that someone else kind of likes him too. But it just happens to be Potiphar's wife. And so Potiphar's wife comes and says, hey, Joseph, come here, buddy. I kind of like to hang out with you a little bit in the back room. Hanging out, of course. And uh, Joseph, man, he does the right thing acts with integrity, leaves his coat behind him and flies out of there and gets out of there and does exactly what he's supposed to do. If we, if we have those kind of moments, man, and you say, how do you respond? And Potiphar was gone. He was at work or whatever he was doing. He was going to be gone for a while. He had every opportunity, Joseph did, to just take her up on the offer and say, you know what? I've been dealt a terrible hand. I'm just going to blow it and let's just go do it. 
And instead, he makes a different choice. And he runs. And his reward, we find, in verse 16. His reward for making the right choice is she, Potiphar's wife, kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And that's Potiphar. Then she told Potiphar this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak behind and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story of his wife, that his wife had told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger like any good husband would. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. I mean, imagine this. Joseph thinks, Has it not been enough, God? You've taken me away from my family. I don't see how my dreams and my goals and and things that I was looking forward to could ever come true. You've put me here, and I'm trying to make the best of it. I'm trying to use the hand that I was dealt, and now I do the right thing. Did you notice it? It's not sin. It's not something he did wrong. Joseph has done nothing wrong. And his reward for that is he got fired, he got wrongfully accused, got fired, and is in jail. Unbelievable. Hard to believe that 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 could even, ah, you know what I mean? (laughs) You've been there. You know, you understand those times where it just seems like everything is stacking up. But again, look how Joseph responds. The second half of verse 20. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all all those held in the prison, and he was responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. So here's Joseph with every chance because of his circumstances to completely give up and to run from it, but instead he rises above his circumstances, and with the Lord's help, he ends up running the prison as a prisoner, and the Lord honors him with that, and the warden trusts him with that. Unbelievable. When everything is caving in on us, somehow we have to fight for the right attitude that allows us to overcome these things. And please don't take this for a second to, me, to think that I mean that you aren't going to wrestle through dark days. And, and I think that there are things that aren't written in here. We get six chapters for a big chunk of Joseph's life for a lot of things that happen. And what we don't see are what about those days when Joseph was in the back of his cell all alone and things weren't good. What happened during the, the months or years or whatever it was before the ward never put him in charge of it? And those days of, of just, you know, the stories that you hear of prison and the things that Joseph would have gone through and wrestled through. There are dark days. I mean, there were for me. I'll never forget um, some of the times of walking through just, just struggle of trying to understand why God would allow this to happen to me at a young age. I mean, I, but why, God? There's so much in front of me. Things were going well. Why, why now in my health? Why now do I have to walk through these things? And, and in a couple of months after that, just really wrestling through some times of depression. I really hated that word before that. But I realized, man, it happens to all of us. And there are times that are just dark. And so when, when I'm sharing this, know that I'm not saying that we just need to be happy-go-lucky and that life is great. But depending on what our mindset is in that struggle will depend on where we get on the other side of it. It will also depend on where we are in the middle of it and whether we can truly rise up above our circumstances. Well, Joe, he gets some more help. 
In chapter, in chapter 40, we read about the cupbearer and the baker, and that, that they're in there, and Pharaoh, they worked right with Pharaoh, and, and he, had, he had fired both of them. He said, you guys are not just fired, he threw them in jail. And, and uh, they had a couple of dreams, and, and the baker heard his dream, and Joseph told him what was going to happen, and uh, it wasn't real good. He told the baker, you're going to be done, man. Your life is over. This is the end of the road for you. But, but then Joseph talked to the cupbearer, and he said, hey, you know, in your dream, I'm going to see that you're not just going to be restored and out of, out of prison, but you're going to be right back with Pharaoh and working with him. And Joseph had a simple request for him if you look at verse 14. And verse 14 says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. He had hope. He had a hope that, that he was going to be able to, to be released that way, that he'd be able to do it. And, and, and again, it, this whole roller coaster of Joseph's life with some extreme highs and extreme lows, that, that he had hope again that, man, I'm going to be set free. Verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then the first verse of 41, when two full years had passed. So here's Joseph again. Brothers sell him. Wrongfully accused, sent to prison. And now he helps someone who in turn forgets about him. And he doesn't spend one day or a few days, but a couple of years. And those couple of years for him was, he didn't know it was going to be two years. We already have the rest of the story. But he didn't have that when he experienced it. And I imagine some of you are walking through that. The heartbreak of that opportunity that you had at work. And, and when you, you were at a job and you were encouraged because you, you thought, man, I'm, I'm, I've got this position and I'm able to provide for my family and I really enjoy what I'm doing. And then the production manager calls you into his office and says, man, I, I appreciate what you're doing and I know you're working hard. I know you've got kids at home and a family you're trying to provide for, but man, we, we got to let you go. We, uh, we're making cuts. Or that phone call that comes in the, in the middle of the night and, and you know your kids are away and, and you hear that there's a car accident or, or you hear about mom uh, has gotten really sick or, or whatever it is that's there and, and there's that, that kind of uh, feeling. But then maybe there's that time of hope. Like with a job, I think of, you know, some of us probably have experienced where someone comes alongside of us and says, um, man, I, I know a guy and, and at my job I'm going to talk to my boss this week and he'll be able to give you an opportunity to, to work there. I'm really excited about it. I think you're a good fit and a day goes by and couple weeks go by and maybe a month or so goes by and you still haven't heard anything. Ups and downs, just that, that struggle of, of not knowing. And the truth is, Joseph and, and probably most of us at times have every excuse in the world that if we could share the story of everything that got stacked up on us, that we would be able to say and tell that person, you know what, you have every excuse to give up. I'm not telling you to give up. But if you shared the story and, you, and, and we, we heard it, that it would make sense to us that, yeah, I get it. I know why you're wrestling that way. I know why you feel like you're paralyzed and, and can't move forward. But the truth is, is that we, we can't stay down. We can't keep ourselves in those moments. Somehow Joseph, through all that, kept his faith and didn't give up on God. And somehow didn't give up on the hope that there was more, even more for his life through that. And making the most of right where he was in the moment. 
If you read on through Genesis 41 and following, you'll, you'll see that, that Joseph was restored, that the cupbearer did remember him when Pharaoh had his own dreams, and, and Joseph ended up coming through completely with a plan for what it would take to, uh, from God, but a plan to provide for Egypt uh, with a time of plenty, and then, then to be able to come through with a famine that came. And not only did he end up being able to provide for all of Egypt, he ended up being able to provide for his own family, and ended up being restored, and, and uh, restoring the relationship with his brothers, and getting to see his father again, and all those things. Not the journey that he would have chosen, but through all of that pain and all that struggle, because he made the choice to overcome circumstances that gave him a right to give up, he chose not to do it. And since he made that choice, when he, the opportunity arose, he really was able to thrive. And so I know for us, as we um, go through our, our life and whatever struggle it is that you have, that, that there's just some things that we need to do. And I want to give you four of them. That, and I want to say, man, if you are wrestling right now through, through some of these things where you just feel like it keeps getting stacked and stacked and stacked on you, um, I want you to, to hear these and then act on them. And the first one is that we need to fight to keep our attitude right. We have got to fight for it. I'll never forget um, just a, a few weeks ago, my, my son is, was kind of wrestling through some things. And, and he, uh, he has night terrors. And it's continued to go on, go on and, and he'll just wake up and he's not really awake and often doesn't even remember it in the morning. And he's just pacing around and just seems really afraid. And, and, and I mean, you can just see that there's some sort of nightmare there. And, and so, you know, there was one night I saw one get, about ready to get started and I went into his room and I, I was sick of it. Not, not sick of him, but sick of the situation. And so Jaden and I, he woke up and, and we started to talk a little bit and I was able to share with him Ephesians 6 and we talked about the armor of God and said, hey man, you've got a God that is more powerful than anything you will ever encounter, whether it's a dream or whatever it is that you hold that power. And, and man, he, he lived it and started to read his Bible more and saw him start to do that in, in, in the evenings and things and, and really saw some victory over it. And a couple of weeks went by and, and he started to wrestle through it again. And, and he was starting to have those problems. And I'll never forget those eyes as they looked at me. And, and his question was, when he, when he had another one of those nightmares, he just looked at me and it was, it was that look of, but why is this still happening? Why, why, do I, why do I still have this struggle? Even though I'm doing right things and, and I'm, I'm reading and getting into the Word and trying to turn my mind, and, and it really brought me um, to this point that it is a battle for us to keep the right attitude that we have, for us to overcome our circumstances, God does not promise to take everything away. He doesn't promise to take all of our circumstances away. He doesn't promise that everything is going to be golden when we give our life to Jesus Christ. What He does promise is that He's going to give us the strength to walk through it. To give us the strength to have the courage to walk through. And I believe that, but that is a fight that we have to do. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3 says, let let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And that brings us to the second point. That is trust in the Lord and not yourself. Trust in the Lord and not yourself. Because the bottom line is, you're going to lie to yourself. 
The bottom line is, you have messages that are going on in your head sometimes. Sometimes they're your own thoughts. Sometimes it's things that people have said to you. There are going to be thoughts of wanting to give up. They're going to be wanting to quit. There are going to be thoughts of saying, you know what, God, I am done with you. Be gone. I don't want any part of you. But you know that you know that he still loves you, that he is faithful, that he will give you that peace and that strength. But there's sometimes where that's a minute-by-minute-by-minute battle that you're going to have to say, you know what, I'm going to have to fight to keep my mind on things above, that I'm going to truly say, I am going to trust in the Lord and not in myself. Because it is so true. We will simply lie to ourselves and believe uh, things that aren't true. And we have to keep talking to ourselves and talk and speak those right messages into our heads. That we let love and faithfulness never leave us. And that we trust in our Lord with all of our heart. And the third thing is that we stay away from impulsive, life-altering decisions. Does that make sense? That we don't just stay away from them, run from them. Too often, I've seen people, and even for myself at times, where you're in the moment, and you feel the stress of the moment, and all of a sudden you make a life-altering decision. You quit your job because you're so angry, and the way life is piling up. Or, or you're, you're struggling with something, and you know what? My wife is just doesn't understand. And so you walk out of your marriage, and you say, enough of this. Or whatever it is, or you look at God, and you don't ask Him the tough questions, but you simply walk away from Him and say, you know what, God? Enough of you. You don't say, God, I don't understand. Help me in this moment. It's a walking away from Him. And we make this impulsive decision because all of these emotions that are stacked up on us. And can I just say it as loud as I can? Stop! Don't do it. Too many people have wrecked their lives. Because in the moment of the stress of the moment, and I get it. I get why when you're in that moment, it feels like there's no other way to go. I remember when when I was walking through my things, and a couple months uh, after I'd had my heart attack, I was in a a pretty pretty bad state of mind. I didn't think I was, but I was in a pretty bad bad state of mind, and, and, and I realized it later, but, but I was offered a position at another job, and, I, and I, I really thought as I wrestled through it, and I told the person, I said, you don't want me right now, after I had kind of come to grips with where I was at personally, that you don't want me to take this job, because the bottom line, had I taken that job, I would have burned the bridge with where I was, and I probably would have ended up burning the bridge with where I went, because I was in no place to be changing and turning my life upside down and trying something completely new. I needed to step back and say, God, work on me and and make those changes. Because we truly have to believe that we can trust on the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our understanding and to acknowledge our God. And so we have to put people around us that can help us walk through that. And uh, I had one of those guys, a good friend of mine who... Uh, we were talking on the phone one day, and I was just kind of sharing some of my frustrations with, with people. And, and when you're in that time, you know, it seems like people can't do anything right. You know what I mean? They can't. They can't. Nobody, doesn't matter how much they pay attention to you, they haven't paid attention to you enough when you're kind of down and out that way. And I, I mean, I was doing some good griping and feeling bad. And I felt good about it because I was right because it was true. And he, and he spoke into my life, and he said, Tim, you're depressed. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, Tim, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. And the rest of the conversation went like this. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, bye. You know, I mean, I was done. I didn't want to hear it anymore. But as I thought about his conversation, man, he spoke truth into my life. And it was in those moments after that that I thought, wow, even though I don't want to believe it, I'm pretty down. And, and I'm not in a place to make 
big decisions in my life, and I'm not in a place to really know what's really going on. I have got to have those people really speak into my life, and I challenge you that same way. Hebrews chapter 12, as we think about how do we handle these situations. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 to 3. Say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so you don't grow weary and lose heart. And how do we not grow weary and lose heart? By doing what Jesus did. Jesus, after he had that time in the garden, and he asked God to, man, take this from me. If there's another way to do it, let's do it. Find another way. And and when when there wasn't, when Jesus had to walk through the pain and the rejection, his own closest friends turned their back on him. But what did Jesus do? While he endured the cross, he focused on what was before him. That it wasn't going to be long until he would see his father face to face again. And I would say that some of you are there right now. That right now there, there is stuff that's happening in your life that the only thing that you can really look at that is really good, that at least you can see right now, is that if you have given your life to Jesus Christ to be in charge of your life, that you can look and say, you know what? I'm going to see him face to face one day. I'm going to be with him. And he's going to take those tears and he's going to wipe them away and say it's over. And he's going to take that pain and say, it's done. Well done. And what he wants you to do right now is to focus on that and to continue to walk forward. To continue to take steps forward. To do your best to make the best of the opportunities you're in right now. And lastly, I think I'm making up a word here, but get unparalyzed. Deparalyzed. Anti-paralyzed. Don't you ever be paralyzed again. I don't care how you say it, but you know what I'm talking about. When the life struggles come, we kind of get paralyzed. And some of us, we run to, we run to alcohol and liquor and, and beer and just get ourselves, man, to get, get drunk and I don't have to think about it, or drugs or whatever it is. Some of us run to uh, just total withdrawal and we get in front of our TV and that's all we're going to do is watch TV and I can't do anything else. I'm just completely paralyzed. Or you get in front of your computer and you start typing on Facebook and you go through and you live your life through everybody else's life and then you send out the key message to all your friends, letting them know just how bad life really is so that hopefully they'll give you a word of encouragement and come alongside. And so you do all this where? By yourself in isolation. As opposed to calling one of them and saying, hey, let's get together. Can we go do something? Because I've got to quit listening to 1980s Chicago music and getting myself depressed all the time. I've got to get a song that makes me rise up out of this. And I've got to go somewhere and do something. You don't feel like doing it. You don't want to do it. But you got to do it. You know what I'm saying? And and this isn't making light of the fact of what you're going through. It's not that you're not asking the deep questions, but it's saying, you know what? I am not going to stay here. I am going to take a step forward. And I'm going to fill out resume 1,241, and I'm going to go to that interview again, and I'm going to try to restore that relationship, and I'm going to do those things so that I can have the best opportunity to make my life the best that it can be for God, even though right now it's tough. And our attitude is 100% behind all of that. 
It was for Joseph. Life stacked on him and stacked on him and stacked on him. And he continued to overcome. Continued to make the best choices with his life. Even through the hard things. And I believe we can do it too. Let's stand together. And pray. God, I come to you. And Father, it is my prayer that you would help us to be these kind of people. And God, I have no doubt in my mind that there are people that are walking down this journey right now that have had either that news or that health situation or the job or whatever it is, God, where everything, just the pressure is pushing in. And Father, I'm praying for them right now. Because Lord, I know that journey. And Lord, I know it's not fun. And Lord, we know the questions that come up there. And God, may each of us be willing to ask those questions and then to rest in you. God, may we choose to fight to rise above our circumstances. God, to truly rise up out of where we are and what we're living through to make the most of whatever opportunities around us. God, so I pray a prayer of encouragement this morning. I pray a prayer of hope into people this morning, God, that they would just truly walk in the hope and freedom that there is in you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.